Now I'd like to introduce John Torrey, co-chair of Diversity, to say a few words. Mr. Torrey. Well, President Nick and Your Worship and uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you, Nick, uh, for your kind introduction and a very warm welcome, uh, Your Worship, to, uh, to Toronto. I speak to you today on behalf of Diversity, uh, the Greater Toronto Leadership Project. Ratna Omnivar, who was introduced earlier, uh, she's the president of Maytree. Uh, she and I have the privilege of co-chairing this project. And today, uh, Diversity has released its two-year review, which you each have in front of you uh, on your tables. And I hope you'll take a look at it. Uh, because I think it's an important project, uh, with our goal being to realize on the promise of a stronger and more prosperous Toronto City region through a more diverse leadership uh, across the board in that region. We're engaging new constituencies to build stronger public and private institutions. We're expanding our networks to attract and retain the best global talent. We share our knowledge of the benefits of diverse leadership so more people can understand how uh, rich those benefits are. And we measure. We measure. Only when you measure, and I think many of the people in this room know this, uh, do you get things done, and we've been tracking the region's progress in many different ways. The review that's published today uh, tells you that we have clear goals we set for ourselves, and in many cases, we've accomplished those goals ahead of schedule. As one example, I'm pleased to announce uh, today, and it's in the review you have in front of you, that diversity on board which seeks to match diverse individuals to governance positions on public and nonprofit agencies and boards and commissions, has reached its goal of 500 appointments. In In fact, the number exceeds already 520, and I can tell you that our talent bank is brimming over with the names and faces of accomplished people who can help you to diversify your governance. Because I can't tell you how many meetings I've been at with the charitable and community organizations I'm involved in where people say, we understand, we have to diversify, we don't know how to go about finding the people that will help us to do it. So that's one of the initiatives of, of diversity. 25 new rising leaders have just been selected to join the Diversity Fellows Program for 2011. People who will join together to take action on issues critical to the health and prosperity of the Toronto City Region. More than 400 mainstream media stories featured the images and the perspectives of diverse experts and spokespersons. These diverse spokespeople and the mainstream media were brought together by the Diverse City Voices program so that people could see through the media a diversity of faces and so that people could see role models from the different communities that make up our wonderful population here. The School for Civics program was, was mentioned. Mohammed was a part of that. It trained 100 people from diverse backgrounds to participate in the election process uh, in the last couple of months. Twelve of those people ran as candidates in the recent municipal elections. These are real programs with real results. We aren't afraid to be measured. We want to be measured. We're not trying to do it alone. We have a great steering committee. We have 166 partners who help us to recognize and take advantage of the diversity advantage in building a strong and fair and prosperous city region. But we need many, many more partners to join with us in recognizing the huge benefits to us and to them, which come from bringing new voices and new perspectives into the conversation and ensuring that people have a seat at the table. As Mayor Nenshi knows, great cities are innovative. Great cities take risks. Great cities aren't afraid of change. They're diverse and they're proud of their diversity. And they know, as we do, all of us here, that great cities can never stand still. So I want to thank the diversity team for the effort and commitment that led to such significant progress. 
but the job is far from done. If we do more, and if we do it faster, we can lead the world in the diversity of our leadership, and this will make our business and non-business organizations stronger. Such an effort is good for Canadians from diverse backgrounds, but it's also good for business, and it's also good for our governments. We're delighted to have Mayor Nenshi with us here in Toronto and to be uh, at this event that we're uh, happy to, uh, to be a part of. He is in many different ways a champion of diversity in Calgary, in Alberta, and indeed in all of Canada. And by attracting you to hear him, he has once again helped us to create an awareness and support that will keep us focused on building that strong, fair, and prosperous city region. And now, we need your help. If everybody in this room took on a small assignment to interview, to mentor, to network, to appoint, to really put the diversity advantage to work, you will be doing the Toronto City Region and yourselves a big favour. Mayor Nenshi will inspire many of us for years to come. Let's help the immigrants, let's help each other, let's help business, and let's really make the diversity advantage count for all of us. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, John. We appreciate your partnership and are thrilled with the huge strides Diverse City uh, has made in helping make the City of Toronto great, so thank you. Mayor Nenshi, we are honoured to have you with us today and thrilled at the opportunity to hear from you after having heard so much about you. Thank you very much for joining us and congratulations on your success in becoming Calgary's new Mayor. While you were a familiar face to some in this room, I would suggest many in this room prior to last year's campaign, your story was a rewarding discovery for a great many of us. Torontonians have deep personal, historical, and economic ties to Calgary. We have family and friends there. We delight in your fantastic skiing and stampeding. We invest, study, and conduct business in your great city. We share with you the responsibilities, opportunities, and challenges that come with being a major industrial, economic, and cultural hub. And sometimes, not often, but sometimes, we'll forget ourselves and even cheer for your teams. <laughs> so it was only natural that we would take an interest in the outcome of your municipal elections last fall. What we discovered upon closer inspection was an exciting young candidate, a Toronto-born, Calgary-raised, Harvard-educated son of Tanzanian immigrants an academic, corporate, and community leader with vision and enthusiasm, a man known to be decisive yet inclusive, passionate yet pragmatic. Ladies and gentlemen, Mayor Nahid, uh, pardon me, Nahid uh, Nenshi earned a Bachelor of Commerce from the University of Calgary, where he was a president of the Students' Union. In 1998, he completed a Master's of Public Policy from the John F. Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University. While at McKinsey and Company, he consulted to large telecommunications, banking, retail, and oil and gas companies. After McKinsey, Mayor Nenshi created the Ascend Group, a consultancy that assists the growth of public, private, and nonprofit organizations. He also taught nonprofit management at Mount Royal University's Bissett School of Business. Mayor Nenshi has parlayed his expertise in nonprofit management to assisting organizations across the city of Calgary. Mayor Nenshi has been passionate about cities for a very long time, as evidenced by his lead authorship of Building Up, Making Canada's Cities Magnets of Talent and Engines of Development, 
a public policy tour de force that arose out of his work with the highly acclaimed Canada 25 movement almost 10 years ago. Today he joins us to speak about pluralism in the Canadian context, the importance of our cities, and the policies that are required to make them great. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming His Worship, Mayor Nenshi, to the Canadian Club podium. Thank you so much, Nick, uh, and thank you to all of you. Merci pour tout, pour être ici aujourd'hui. C'est un grand plaisir pour moi de retourner, je dois dire, rentrer uh, à la ville de mon naissance. It's just wonderful to be here uh, back in Toronto, uh, the city of my birth, the city where I began my professional career, uh, and what a warm welcome your city has given me. So thank you so much for, for all of that. I especially want to thank the sponsors of today's event, a great Calgary company of which we are very proud, Enbridge, and my former employer. <laughs> Another company of which we are very proud, but I can't shake the feeling that they're working on a performance review for me right now. <laughs> Why did you put them right there? Um, but I am absolutely thrilled uh, to be with you here in Toronto to talk to you a little bit about a great story. And that is the story of Calgary, it's also the story of Canada, and it's the story of our success, our shared future success as a nation as we move on. And what a great place to be doing it uh, here in Toronto. Some of you may have heard that I've actually been a bit disappointed with my trip to Toronto so far. Uh, I was talking on the CBC to Mr. Galway, who I saw in the room uh, this morning, and suggesting that, you know, I was, I was you know, happy, I suppose, to be invited to speak to the Canadian Club. You know, that's nice. Um, and, and, you know, sort of nice to, to be able to speak at Civic Action tomorrow, and great to be meeting with some of the... Uh, civic leaders around this part of the world. That, that was all good, but the, the real reason I came back is because there is one thing that we really lack in Calgary, and what we really lack in Calgary is a culture of cheap and cheerful Thai food. <laughs> and after I, uh, after I made the invitation, I discovered that uh, Salad King's reopening date has been pushed back <laughs> two weeks. Wall collapsed or something, apparently. And I only just found out on the plane on the way over by text message that the green mango is no more. So I've got to tell you, I'm feeling very hurt by this. <laughs> but I'm hoping that I will be able to fill that tie-shaped hole in my heart uh, with some good conversation and the ability to really talk a little bit about cities uh, and a little bit about where we are going together as a nation. Rewind. October the 16th of last year, about 115 days ago, if I'm counting correctly. For those of you who are interested in politics, I can talk about politics all day and, in fact, talk about the campaign that we found ourselves embroiled in uh, for the mayorship of Calgary. It was a remarkable campaign. It was a remarkable campaign for many, many reasons. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about those uh, later in my remarks when I talk about civic engagement. But it was also a heck of a lot of fun. And there was a lot of momentum that built over the course of the campaign. So one of the things that I really believe in is taking government to people where they live. 
And we had followed that same philosophy in campaigning that I like to think I'm following in governing. And what that meant was we did a lot, you know, people always think that our entire campaign was done only on the internet in my pajamas from my home, <laughs> my purple pajamas. Um, a little bit of it was. But in reality, there was a lot of old-fashioned shoe leather, and we were really going out to a lot of people where they lived and having people invite us into their homes, doing coffee parties and backyard barbecues and churches and synagogues and festivals and pathways, anywhere Calgarians would gather, we would try and engage them in conversation. And at the very beginning, if someone had a coffee party and five people came, it was a big deal. I was so happy. Um, except if they wanted to talk about fluoride in the water, we won't get into that. Um, but on the Saturday night before the election, in one of the oldest communities in Calgary, a neighborhood called Ramsey, in a 102-year-old house, which for Calgary is very old, tiny little cottage, I went to this woman's house. Uh, there were 150 people crammed into her house. People were standing on the front lawn with the windows open so that they could hear what I had to say. It was a remarkable night. And in the middle of the, at the very end of that evening, um, a woman came up to me. She had been a former member of the Legislative Assembly in Alberta and literally whispered in my ear. And she said, Nahid, if you win on Monday, it's going to be national and international news. What are you going to say? <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, ma'am, I'm focused on winning on Monday. <laughs> we'll deal with what comes after that later. But thankfully, she did say that, because it at least planted something in my mind, that this was going to be an interesting story for people, but it was going to be an interesting story for reasons that just didn't matter, in my opinion, that weren't relevant to the election that I ran. And I found that I had a choice. I could always just have said no to all of that and said, look, the things you care about are not the things that Calgarians care about. You know, the issue of my faith came up once or twice in the campaign, was quelled as quickly as it came up. The issue of the color of my skin never came up in the campaign. Uh, I was joking last night. I probably can't tell this joke in a mixed crowd, but I was speaking to a group of Ismaili youth last night, and I was saying the issue of my not being married probably came up way more than the issue of my faith, and that was only because my mom kept talking about it. Um, but uh, it was funnier last night. <laughs> because all those ladies knew who, about my mom. Um, so I could have said no to all of that. And I chose not to do so. The morning after the election, it was called quite late, and by the time, quite late at night, I know there were a lot of people in Toronto who were staying up really late that night. And by the time I got home, it was about 3, 3.30 in the morning. And I'll give you a little window into politics for those of you who don't live and breathe this stuff. Typically what happens just before an election is all of the candidates pre-book all of the media for the day after the election. So you kind of know if, you won the, if, you, if you've lost the election, you've got a free day. <laughs> Pick up your signs. But if you won the election, then you kind of got a big day booked the following day. And I had, I think, seven or eight interviews already booked for the next morning. That's a lot. That's a lot to do uh, in one day. And I was standing on my driveway at 5.40 the next morning, and the Calgary Herald delivery person came up, and I took the paper from her, and she looked at the paper and looked at me and looked at the paper and, at me and said, you live here? And I said, for a long time. And she said, but I've never seen you. And I said, well, I'm not in the habit of being on my driveway at 5.40 in the morning waiting for the newspaper to be delivered and a volunteer to pick me up. 
And then I also learned, and she said, well, do you want an extra copy? <laughs> and that's how I learned that my Calgary Herald delivery person is also my Calgary Sun delivery person. And she gave me an extra copy of the Sun, too. <laughs> but when my volunteer came to pick me up, uh, 5.40 in the morning, he was on the phone. And here's some foreshadowing for you. When I left him 18 hours later, he had spent about 20 minutes not on the phone. The cell phone bill was 93 pages long. And as we were chatting, as we were chatting he was talking to someone, I don't know who, and said, well, he's very busy today. I'm really booking him up. Tell you what, put him live on air right now. <laughs> Hands me the phone. in the morning. On the other end of the phone, I hear, Ici Radio-Canada, Manitoba. Quelles sont vos priorités pour Calgary? And as you just heard from my French, it's not so good. And I said, really? 5.40 in the morning. To the fine Franco-Manitobans of the world. How do you say airport tunnel in French? And the day went on. Um, some of you may have seen, uh, I, 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 I told you that we started with seven or eight interviews booked that day. When we finished, we had done 34. Local, national, and international media, including, by the way, a half hour with Peter Mansbridge, who happened to be in Calgary that day, which I have never watched. The reason I've never watched it is because I'm terrified. That was interview number 22 that day. In a tiny hotel room, our knees were practically touching, Hot TV lights. I told you he was off the phone for 20 minutes that whole day, my poor uh, volunteer. He was off the phone for those 20 minutes because he was sleeping on the top of Peter Mansridge's bed. <laughs> I have no idea what I said. I hope it sounded good. Um, now, that's all sort of funny and self-aggrandizing, I suppose, but the reason that I took the opportunity to have those conversations is because I said to myself, this is a story that must be told. A story that must be told about Canada and a story that must be told about the way in which my city, Calgary, epitomizes the very best of Canada. And I have to tell you, even though issues of the way I look and where I come from, the socioeconomic background I came from and so on, were not really part of the election, I did for a moment allow myself to be indulgent over that crazy day. And I thought to myself, you know something? This morning, while I was standing on that driveway, or hopefully shortly thereafter, kids across the city are waking up. Northeast to southwest in every neighborhood of this city, every ethnicity, every income, every background, every family status. And they're waking up, and across the city, their parents are making them breakfast, And as they're eating their breakfast, their parents are showing them the newspaper or flipping on the TV or turning on the radio and telling them about what happened after they went to bed last night. And I hope that every one of those kids, just for a second as they were starting their busy day, thought to themselves, what a country I live in. What a city I live in. Because I know today that I live in a place where I can be anything. And that's really, that's really my first message to you today, is that we need to recognize what a great gift we have in this country. 
in the terms of the way we think about multiculturalism, the way we think about pluralism. When just this week we heard the Prime Minister of Great Britain suggest that multiculturalism in his country is a failure, that it leads to ghettoization, that it does not allow the community to flourish and grow, we have to recognize that that perhaps is his reality. But it's not our reality. It's not our reality in Canada. I often misquote the Aga Khan uh, as saying that Canada is the most successful experiment in pluralism in human history. And I think that's true. And I think that we have an obligation as citizens of the world to model that behavior. So rather than misquote the Aga Khan, let me actually quote him. I'm not tweeting. <laughs> I, I could. <laughs> Later. <laughs> But <laughs> it's actually kind of a nice view from up here. <laughs> the week before the elections in Calgary, His Highness the Aga Khan was here in Toronto uh, delivering, the, delivering the LaFontaine Baldwin lecture. If you have not watched or listened or read this lecture, do it today. It is remarkable in terms of what he was saying. And I want to share with you a passage, and I'll probably share with you another passage uh, a little later in my remarks today. But he was talking about pluralism, and he said, what the Canadian experience suggests to me is that identity itself can be pluralistic. Honoring one's own identity need not mean rejecting others. One can embrace an ethnic or religious heritage while also sharing a sense of national or regional pride. And interestingly, I think he was talking about Germany, but we could say the same sentence this week. To cite a timely example, I believe that one can live creatively and purposefully as both a devoted Muslim and a committed European. We might also say or a committed Canadian. And I think that this is really a key. Somehow we have found in this country and in our great cities that magic formula of how we can do that. You know, I was, uh, I was speaking uh, recently on the Riz Khan show on Al Jazeera. It's a very funny story of how I ended up speaking on Al Jazeera. But it was a very strange interview because it was clear that this was someone who didn't really understand Canada. And the fellow who was, I suppose, on the other side of the panel for me, a fellow from Toronto who ought to have known better, also, in my opinion, did not understand Canada. And it was a remarkable conversation because it ended with a question to me that was such a deeply offensive question. And the question was, are you a Canadian first or are you a Muslim first? And my response was, am I a man first or am I 39 years old first? <laughs> because there is no dichotomy between those things. And we have to remember that as we move forward. So, uh, we had a reference today to some work that I did with Alison Lote, uh, great leader Alison Lote, and people sitting at this table right here, back in 2002, uh, called Building Up with this group, Canada 25. And in there, we talked about the elements of a great city. And one of the first elements was, in fact, this issue of diversity. We talked to young, great Canadians living around the world and asked them a very simple question. Why do you choose to live where you live? And one of the most interesting responses we got back was this issue of diversity. 
I was going to say I should have brought the book so that I can quote you what, what, what's actually in the book, and I see it on the table, but I remember. And what people were unanimous about is that they advocated that they wanted to live in diversity. That ethnic and immigrant presence in their communities, that people who were different than them, did not threaten their way of life. Indeed, it engaged them. It created a healthy tension that forced them to be better people. And my career since then, over the last decade, has shown this to be very, very true. I was involved with a project in Calgary called Imagine Calgary, which was our, uh, I was going to say attempt, it wasn't an attempt, we really did it, which was our project to write a 100-year vision for the city. And part of my job as a volunteer was to go through all of the responses that we had received from regular Calgarians, over 18,000 of them. So the largest civic engagement project, I think, in Canadian history municipally. And I have to admit to you that my job was to go through those 18,000 responses, and I'm pretty sure I didn't read them all. It's a lot. But the reason that I could get away without reading all of them is because there was remarkable unanimity in what people were saying. What kind of a city do you want? What kind of a neighborhood do you want to live in? And the answers were so very basic. I want to live in a neighborhood where I can walk to the store. I want to live in a neighborhood where my kids can walk to school. I want to live in a neighborhood which, while my kids are walking to school, they run into people who are different than they are. That not everyone that they go to school with is exactly the same as us. I want to live in a neighborhood, by the way, where that second or third or fourth family car is a choice for our family, not an absolute necessity for us to be able to live our lives. And so this really speaks to those elements that Canada 25 spoke of all those years ago. Diversity, density, a sense of discovery. So we've talked a lot about diversity and the importance of that and the importance that we see that, the importance of seeing that as a strength. And I applaud the work that I've, we've been hearing about today, like diversity on board, like getting people from diverse communities engaged in civics uh, and, in, and in politics. I mean, this is exactly the sort of thing that we need to be doing in order to use diversity as a strength, as a uniter, rather than as a divider. But the other elements are important as well. Density. The urban form, the built form, how we help people to live together. I'm a very free market guy. I don't think you get away with as many years as McKinsey as I did without being a free market guy. But I also understand that in the case of the urban design, we do need a bit of regulation. We do need a bit of a guiding hand in making sure that we are building the kinds of neighborhoods that maximize use of our infrastructure, that are efficient, that allow, people to use their, that allow people to live their lives in a way that makes sense. It means massive investments in public transit, in building attractive public spaces, and ensuring that people have true, real choices in both the form in which they live and the ways in which they move. And we know that the answer to that is bringing people together in proximity. And that's something that we need to focus on. We particularly need to focus on it uh, in the cities of the prairies where we've got a lot of room around us. And there are no natural limits to our growth. But we have to think about what is effective, what is efficient, and how we can work together. You know, we, we can no longer build communities that are impossible to serve by transit without a lifelong subsidy. We have to integrate the way we think about land use, the way we think about mobility. I can speak a lot more on the urban form, but I'll, I'll leave that one there, and I'm happy to take questions on it. I want to talk about this last one, a sense of discovery. Cities work when they are innovative. 
Cities work when there is creation, creativity where there is innovation. Calgary is a beautiful example of this. Calgary is a city that works very, very well on many, many levels. And one of the reasons it works very well is the openness that we've just been talking about. You know, I often say that, um, you know, to back up a little bit, the reason that suddenly people got so interested in me uh, after the election, I'd like to think was because of my stunning good looks, outstanding hair, <laughs> and, uh, you know, encyclopedic knowledge of now defunct Thai restaurants. But <laughs> I suspect, maybe, just maybe, that people woke up on the 19th of October and went, whoa, that does not look like Calgary. Well, folks, this is what Calgary looks like. <laughs> this is what Canada looks like. And all of you are what Calgary looks like. All of you are what Canada looks like. And the great, great thing in Calgary as we talk about innovation is that we're lucky in one way because we're not constrained by history as much as other places are. And as a result, in Calgary, nobody cares who your daddy was. Nobody cares what your last name is or how much money you come from. What they care about is what you bring to the table. They care about your ideas. They care about your willingness to follow through, your ability to get things done. It is the absolute epitome of a meritocracy, as much of Canada is. But in Calgary, the idea of opportunity for all and meritocracy really come together. And I think that we have a lot to model for the rest of Canada in terms of how we make that sense of discovery work. And that also means an element of human discovery. Because what we know is that for true economic development to happen, jobs don't attract people. People attract jobs. And people are attracted to places that are attractive. Isn't that a wonderful soundbite? <laughs> right? The things that make a difference for people are the things that make you smile every day when you're living in a city. That's why investments in the urban fabric are so important. Things like sports and recreation and parks, things like arts and culture and public realm built to a high level of beauty and design and space are so important. They're not just airy concepts of things that would be nice to have. They're absolutely essential to the economic development of a city and of a region because we need people to stick. We need people to come and stay. And we need to make places attractive in the real sense of that word. They have to attract people. Our cities have to be fantastic places to not only make a living, but fantastic places to make a life. Back in 2002, we talked about the base on which all of this must be built. And that is a base of civic engagement. And that is something that we have really learned over time in Calgary. You know, again, for those of you who like politics, our municipal election was a remarkable time because people were talking about government. They were talking about politics. Strangers on the bus were talking about the election. People were talking about their preferred candidates in line at the grocery store. I've never seen it before. We had, as you've heard, record voter turnout. Um, they told me the highest since 1977. And I asked and realized they only started calculating in that way in 1977. <laughs> 
It's the highest in history. And that's what I keep saying. And I do hope that here in Toronto, you ex and I don't know because I wasn't here, I was a little busy, but I do hope that you experience something similar here. You know, your voter turnout was higher than ours, just a shade higher. But it certainly means that people were starting to engage. The exciting thing, 110 days or whatever it is later for me, is you know what? People are still talking on the bus. They're still talking in line at the grocery store. And that's really the number one issue for me. That's what keeps me up at night. How do we ensure that we are keeping people as excited now as they were back in October? Let me quote the Aga Khan again. Oh, my phone went off. I can tweet while I'm quoting. Um, he suggested in the same lecture, too often, democracy is understood to be only about elections, momentary majorities, but effective governance is much more than that. What happens before and after elections? How are choices framed and explained? How is decision-making shared so that leaders of different backgrounds can interactively govern rather than small cliques ruling autocratically? To me, this is common sense. Maybe it's my McKinsey training. I have 14 city councillors. And if I have a mention of sympathy for Mayor Ford, I think about the size of his council. 14 is tough. 41 or 42? Yikes. The 15 of us could make the decisions. We could solve the problems. But I have to believe that 15 problem solvers are less good than engaging to start all of the good people who work for the city of Calgary. Let's go from 15 problem solvers to 15,000 problem solvers. But much more important than that, let's engage citizens in their own future. Let's go from 15,000 problem solvers to 1.2 million problem solvers in the city of Calgary. And that's really my challenge. How do we keep people engaged in having these conversations authentically so that they really feel as though they are living this? You know, the other night we were having a pretty contentious debate at City Council. Uh, we went until just after midnight. And at about 10.30 at night, a group of about 10 or 12 20-somethings all came into the council chambers, which was empty at that point in the night. And they all sat down. And I looked at my Twitter feed, and they were all madly Twittering. And I realized that these were folks who had been out at some function and decided that coming and participating in civic democracy by sitting there, by tweeting it, by sending interactively the conversations with uh, the politicians was a good use of their time. And I thought, this is remarkable. And this is the kind of engagement that we need to continue. And you know, I'm happy to chat more about that in our dialogue. But I tell you, that's what keeps me up at night. I, I give homework to audiences in Calgary all the time. Ah, what the heck, I'll give you the homework too. Do you mind if a visiting professor gives you some homework? <laughs> Every one of you, by virtue of being here today, believes in something greater than your own small circle. It means you believe in community. It means you believe in building community. But every one of you also knows people in your circle, in your family, your friends, your social circle, who are less engaged than they should be, who are not participating to the full extent uh, that they could be with their talents and their skills. So, I'll echo something that was said uh, by Mr. Tory a little bit earlier here. I want every one of you to take a homework assignment. Far be it for me for giving homework to people in a city I don't live, but I will anyway, Professor. I want you to find one person in your social circle whose skills and talents mean that they could be contributing at a higher level. 
And in the short term, in the next six or eight weeks, I want you to mentor that person, that one person. Find them an opportunity for them to give of their resources, to give of their time, where they can make a difference in the community that matches their own skills, talents, abilities, and resources. Just one person. Because you know what? That person will find another person. And that person will find another person. And that's how we build this level of civic engagement that we all need. The last thing I want to share with you today before I wrap up uh, is just one thing. A message for all of you is that the success of Calgary is the success of Canada. And to be more broad, the success of our cities in Canada is the success of our nation. And as such, it is time for us to embrace a new muscular urban agenda in this country to allow our cities the resources, the powers, and the authorities that they need in order to do the work that we must do every day for the citizens who live within our boundaries. In Alberta, the legislation that governs what I can do as a city, which is provincial legislation, is largely unchanged since Alberta entered Confederation in 1905. I was speaking in a room exactly like this at the Fairmont in Calgary exactly one week ago, and I looked over at a table of eight to which I had invited my city council members, and I realized that I was actually committing an illegal act. Why is that? Because the legislation says that a quorum of city council may never be in the same room unless there is a public meeting, a city clerk is present, and minutes are taken. Yeah, quorum is eight. There were seven at the table, plus me is eight. I'm not in jail yet. <laughs> but how ridiculous is that? Can you imagine if a provincial party caucus could never meet? You know, that's the roles and the constraints in which we operate. And my message to provincial and the federal governments and to those hoping to form government is it's time to talk about cities. It's time to really talk about how we make sure that cities have the resources they need to provide the services that Canadians need every single day, every single hour of every single day. And it's time for us to understand that this third order of government, this order of government that doesn't exist in the Constitution, is actually the order of government that is most important to our citizens' lives every single day. And I encourage governments to embrace that. So to all of you, I thank you again for your warm hospitality, for inviting me here. I've got a big job ahead of me, and that is a job to engage with 1.2 million Calgarians in building the better Calgary that we all need. And I hope that today you'll go away here with a new vision and a new fire and a new power to help build the better Toronto that Canada needs as well. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Uh, the mayor is going to take one or two questions, and uh, Jennifer has a microphone, and do we have another? And Nick, tall fellow back there, also has a microphone. So first two hands get questions. There's one. Thanks, Nick. Your Worship? Is it on? It is. Uh, I'm just wanting to... Uh, ask you, there seems to be a 
a rivalry in the city of Calgary with the city of Toronto that sometimes borders on uh, the ridiculous. And I'm wondering what you're going to do as mayor of Calgary to try and uh, help Calgary understand that uh, they don't need to uh, uh, dismiss Toronto to be successful uh, in their own right. So let's start by being very clear. The Flames are in playoff contention. How's about those Leafs? Quite seriously, you know, I don't see that rivalry. I don't believe in that rivalry. Uh, when we look at a great Calgary company like Enbridge with a great customer base here in Ontario, uh, we see that that rivalry is meaningless. It exists in hockey. It would exist in football if you people would actually care about your team. Um, but it certainly doesn't exist in what we need to do as a city. You know, I have to tell you something, and, I, and my chief of staff will get mad at me for going here. But there was an article in the Globe and Mail today that I did not like. Because it tried to bring a contrast between myself and your new mayor. And I think that is not helpful. Because we are all rowing in the same direction. In Calgary, the success of Toronto in the things that you do for our country is vital to our success. We want you to do well. And I really hope that you feel the same way about us, that the success of Calgary is also the success of Toronto and the success of Canada. To have great, vibrant cities that, yeah, compete with one another sometimes is a good thing for all of us. We all exist in a global pool where we must compete for the best global talent. We must have the best people from around the world wanting to make their living and make their lives here in Canada in all of our cities. So I want Vancouver to be deliriously successful. I want Toronto to do so well. I want Montreal to be a jewel for the world. I even want Winnipeg to be great. <laughs> and I would want Regina to be great other than that football thing. Um, but that said, we have to be able to work together to make that happen. One more. I can't see anything. Emmanuel Meles, um, very delighted to hear your worship. Um, the three Ds agenda that you have about diversity, density, and discovery. Uh, I'm wondering, I know you're busy with 1.5 million inhabitants there, but how are you going to use uh, this to inform the national agenda through the Federation of Canadian Municipalities uh, that, that we have here? Yeah. You know, my primary goal my primary function in life is looking after the 1.2 million people who put their faith in me to help them build a better community. But I have always said, just as my message to you today was that Canada must model success for the rest of the world, that our cities must model success for one another. And if there are things that Calgary can be helpful in, if there are things that Calgary can model, we're extremely helpful. We're extremely happy to do that. However, where I ended today, talking about the need for this muscular urban agenda, is an issue that faces every single city in this country. I have spoken out on it, as has Mayor Ford, as have many others, and we will continue to speak out on it. Because with a united voice, I mean, we represent, after all, 80% of Canadians live in cities. We are not a rural society anymore, if we ever were. And for us to be, we must, without question, 
be able to advance that agenda to together. And I really look forward to working with my colleagues uh, at the Federation of Canadian Municipalities and the Big City Mayor's Caucus to make sure that message is well heard. Thank you all. I'd like to welcome Alison Loda, Director of the Canadian Club of Toronto, to the podium. Thank you, Nick, and thank you, Mayor, N Mayor uh, I almost called you Mayor Nahid, Mayor Nenshi. A little bit. <laughs> um, politics is ultimately an expression of how a community chooses to live together. During Calgary's election campaign, a newspaper reporter described that campaign as changing the definition of what a city could be. And may I add to that, changing the definition of what a country can be. As Mayor Nenshi said this morning on Metro Morning, it began a process that aims to get citizens engaged in conversations about politics, and in full sentences, no less. And it's premised on a belief that our public life can tap citizens' desire for a better future. So on behalf of all of us, thank you, Mayor Nenshi, uh, very much for coming back to Toronto and for sharing your vision for that future with us today. And please come again anytime. Thank you very much, Allison. Thank you again, Mayor, Mayor Nenshi, and thanks once more to Enbridge, McKinsey, and Diverse City for making today possible. This concludes our television pro uh, broadcasting programming, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. We are grateful to Rogers TV and 680 News for their continuing promotion of Canadian Club events. Ladies and gentlemen, this meeting is now adjourned. <laughs>